Hello, my magical friends. My name is Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 72nd time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. There was some stuff I watched, and there's a little bit of news, and then we'll get to today's topic. So let's talk about what I've been watching. So of course, every Sunday I've been watching Tropical Rouge Precure, Kiranaki Powers, and Wacha Primaji. I don't have a lot to say about this, though this will change soon as my schedule is going to be changing next year, which means I won't be able to watch things as easily on Sundays. Luckily, I know at least two of the three shows I'm watching are easily streamable. The third one I have to kind of figure out, but I should still be okay. I should still be able to catch up to my shows. But uh, yeah, I don't know how long I will be in this predicament where I work on Sunday instead of watching my shows on Sunday. But yeah, it's gonna depend on the the border situation here in Japan. So that's fun. But more importantly than that, I finished Magic Knight Ray Earth yesterday as of recording. I watched the second season, I should say, as I watched the first season. And you can listen to the episode about the first season uh, with Tyler Tominaga, a friend of the podcast. I knew that the plot is a little different in the comics, so I almost immediately rushed to find out what the difference was because I heard a comic spoiler and thought it was in series, and it turns out it wasn't. I'm sure we will get to talk about that in due time, but yeah, I generally enjoyed the series. I do think that there are some problematic elements that are perhaps typical of the 90s, especially from Clamp. But, you know, in general, yeah, it was uh, interesting to watch for sure. I hope that we get more magical girls like Ray Earth in the future because it does feel like a very fun, unique take on the genre. And yeah, we just need more knights in magical girls, honestly. That's the main thing. But yeah, that's all I've watched, so let's move on to the news. So first bit of news is actually quite personal. So this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, and I was luckily able to pitch the idea to Anime Herald, and they just recently published the article I wrote about the different kinds of magical girls. So it's meant to be something that is, you know, basically summarizing the history of the genre and looking at what different magical girls are out there. Mostly just because, you know, I could never find anything that was a really good definitive place to uh, to send people, you know, when they didn't really know about magical girls. And of course, I have this podcast because I want everyone in the world to know about magical girls and love them as much as I do. But yes, so I will leave a link to that in the show notes. And I think I'm just going to keep it in the show notes from now on. So you know, you can have it uh, easily accessible if you're ever in a conversation with someone who wants to know a little bit more about what's going on with Magical Girls and where it came from and all of that. So I'll also always leave a link in my own personal bio so you can find it there if you're not sure where else to look. And yeah, I hope you enjoy. Uh, Thank you to everyone who has read it already because it came out over the weekend. 
I didn't know when it would be released, so I'm really happy it's finally out. Next, uh, I wanted to mention The Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Chat Noir. Season 4 is coming to Disney Plus on January 5th, so if you are a fan of that series, feel free to check it out. And next, this is a little bit of a smaller piece of news because it is very local news, but it is still Magical Girl, so I do want to bring it up. Ridopia, which is a company that is focused on live audio, is releasing a family Magical Girl comedy play next year in February. It is called Shirona Restart. They have introduced four major characters, and they are all very cute, even though one of them is technically a villain. <laughs> There's a, sh- a short bio about the characters on their own website and with their names and stuff. But yeah, it is going to be a live audio reading in Saitama Prefecture in late February. I don't know if anything else will come of this series, but I do hope that there is something else because honestly, these characters are very cute. The story is very interesting. And like I said, it's a family series. So three of the magical girls that we meet are all families, two sisters and a mother. And I love their design, so I am really looking forward to it. Yeah, so that's exciting. (laughs) The writer of the story, Toshihisa Kiyo, responded to my translation of their tweet about the thing. So I just really appreciate that uh, shout out as well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what could come of this, because I do think, you know, it's something to keep your eye out on. And with that, I believe that's everything, so let's move on to today's topic. So as far as turnaround and when it comes to newer series in the magical girl genre, of course, we have been focusing primarily on a lot of older shows. But this is the fastest turnaround in that this is a series that came out this year and we're going to talk about this year. We are going to talk today about Fairy Ramaru and I am so excited both for this conversation and the guest. So we brought back Leo or Magical Cinnamon to talk about this series. Uh, He actually did an amazing breakdown so you should really check out the videos on each episode that they did in real time as the show was airing. But, you know, for this deeper conversation, I just, I, I could not think of anyone better, honestly, to talk about the show with. But yeah, so this series is really, really fascinating, not just as a magical boys show, but as a magical girl show. It has a lot of commentary in it. You know, it's a social commentary. It also comes from a very interesting place in terms of the past works of these creators. And I think that it is really fascinating uh, looking at what the genre can be in the future because it is an incredibly unique series, even for magical boys and definitely for magical girls. But yes, it is a, a just a shorter series. So if you have not watched it yet, I think especially if you are uh, looking for representation of men interested in men, I definitely recommend this series for sure. It's a phenomenon and it also is so popular. I really, really deeply hope that they end up with a season two because it is, I just want there to be more media like this. I think that it would be very 
successful if given the opportunity. But of course, nothing is without its issues. So I do want to give a few warnings off the top here before we start. So please be warned that we're going to talk about colorism, sexualization of minor coded characters, which we'll get into in more depth later, depictions of survival sex work, homophobia to a light degree, and abuse, which is a major factor of pretty much every episode is the victim of the week is often going through a very abusive situation. So whether you want to listen to this chat or you're going to go watch the series for the first time, please keep that in mind because sometimes it can be a little stressful to witness. But with that, I think we are ready to move on. So let's go on to today's chat with Leo, aka Magical Cinnamon, about Fairy Namaru. So here we are going to talk about this year's Fairy Ramaru, and I am so excited for our returning guest. Can you please introduce yourself? Hello. Hello, Ivy. Hello, listeners. I am Lel. My pronouns are he, him, but you can use any pronouns. I'm comfortable with any of them. And I am very excited to be here to talk about Fairy Denmaru with Ivy. Yeah, oh, it's just such an interesting, like, in terms of the genre, this one feels really groundbreaking for a lot of reasons, and yet it's really hard to find people to talk about it with. But I definitely wanted to get your take after seeing, you know, your reaction videos because you were watching it as it was airing and all of that. But before we get started with that, what have you been watching in the world of Magical Girls since you were last on the podcast? Mm, I think it's impossible not to mention the amazing, the glorious Tropical Rouge Precure. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh my god, I am really living my life with this season. I am tropicalizing a lot with Manatsu <laughs> and the gang. I'm loving Tropical Rouge so much. I'm really, really loving. And uh, what else? I've been watching... I don't know if this is really considered a magical girl show, but there is kind of a magical girl in it, which is Tect Ope Destiny. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know about it, right? I have been watching it as well. Yeah, it is really fascinating. It's like, I have mentioned it on the podcast actually before, but yeah, the music arts are like very magical girl-ish, but like the rules of them are a little different because they're also kind of like gods embodying humans and all of that. But it is a really, really fascinating series so far. Yeah, the animation is really out of this world. Oh, yes. Like, impressively so good. So gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there is one more that I have talked about when I was here, which is Tonde Budin, which oh, yes. was one that I like really wanted to watch and I could never find it. And well, I haven't found it fully, but I was able to manage to find like the first 10 episodes or so. Ooh. So I'm like starting on it. So like this show is just insanely awesome. <laughs> it's so much fun it's it's so unfortunate that it's so hard to find those hidden yeah. gems of the magical girl world 
It's very disappointing for us fans of the genre, right? Yeah. But at the same time, like when you find it, it gives us so much happiness. So I'm very happy. <laughs> I hope that we're able to actually go into the end and finish this because this is a very good series. I remember when I was younger and it aired here in Brazil and I watched it on television and I'll being able to watch it again, like for the first time in Japanese, because for me, she was called Super Pig. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. So like, it's a totally new experience and I don't remember it very well. So mm. a rewatch that does feel like I'm watching something new. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know that whenever I get around to watching it, it's going to be the same experience for me because I have memories of watching it, but I was like four years old and in Japan. So I was way too young to know what was going on. But like the imagery <laughs> was ingrained in my brain forever. Yeah. Yeah. And even here in Japan, it's hard to find. So like I am also oh on the search. Yeah, definitely hope to find it at some point. It's very interesting how even here there are some shows that are just absolutely impossible to get unless mm -hmm. you like find the rare dvd and pay i don't know thousands of dollars for it or oh something. my god yeah it's so absurd yeah <laughs> <laughs> that sucks i know but we are talking about a very recent series so fairy Domino did come out earlier this year and i feel like maybe i heard the news from you when it was first announced like on twitter or something but like what was your reaction when you first saw the artwork because when it it was announced they showed the the fairy forms of the five characters and uh you know it said you know from the makers of cute high earth defense club love and which could not be more different shows but <laughs> what was your initial reaction when you first saw this uh like the art and stuff yeah, it's hard to describe because I was so shocked when I saw the first poster because there is so much life in the Fairy Dunmaru arts and the poses and everything, it exudes like exuberance, you know? <laughs> so when I saw this, I was like, what is this? Is this actually an anime show? Isn't this just <laughs> like a, a fan art that someone did? that they put on the internet, but no, it's an actual show. I was so shocked. And yeah. I did watch Boebu at the time. And I remember when I watched Boebu, which is a magical boy show, I really tried to love it because I love magical girls. And I was like, okay, we have a magical boy show. I really need to love this one too. <laughs> it looks so gay. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. I need to love this. But I didn't love it, you know? Mm. I didn't hate it. The first season was good. I didn't hate it. But I didn't love it either. You know, I didn't mm. become, like, the biggest fan of the show. But then, with Fairy Dunmaru, with those visuals, I was like, okay, this one's gonna be good. <laughs> this one's <laughs> gonna be great. And I remember I couldn't find anything, you know? I just mm -hmm. found the post and, like, I couldn't find more. And it feels that, like, there wasn't much more uh, with the first poster mm. and the first announcement like there wasn't many details and everything else so i was a little like skeptical i was like is it gonna be one of those shows like three minute shows you know <laughs> i was a little skeptical at the start but i was so happy with the designs and i loved it so 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 much so i started mm. sharing it on twitter like just trying to start conversation and people <laughs> notice it and mm. people talk to me about it because 
I really loved it. Like my first impression of it was like super, super, super positive, and I was super excited for more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that original series like is so it's a magical boy show. It's very much like a parody as well. But yeah, it's just definitely like, you know, just five guys going through the same motions. And I did generally enjoy it. I I found the comedy hit for me, but I could definitely understand it not being quite enough, especially if you're hoping for like like romance between the boys or something. Like it there was none of that. And then, you know, this also is the the creators of Fairy Lou, which is a completely different show. Also very, very cute, but that's a show about like cute little fairies. It's a Sanrio series and it's just like the daily lives of fairies going to fairy school and like living in little flower houses and having tea and all this stuff. And it's it's a very adorable <laughs> little kind of slice of life story. And the main character, she like accidentally encounters humans sometimes. And so it's kind of also partially that story, but like it's a very different series. So like when I heard those two names together and then I saw these visuals of like these mostly very muscular guys and some of them wearing almost nothing I was like wow this is a very different direction so you know it, it was really fascinating to see the kind of switch over and I was very lucky that I was able to read some um, interviews with the creators as it was coming out so I was able to get some context which is going to be very helpful for today's conversation but it's basically the combination of you know, all that research into fairy lore and then also wanting to do something else with Magical Boys that came to the series. But yeah, so <laughs> so just for anyone who has not watched the series yet, which you should. Definitely. <laughs> it's about five fairy guys and they represent five different clans. They're sent by the fairy queen to Earth to rescue the hearts of people in need and collect their purified attachments, which are a resource in the fairy world. Most of them are in disguise as high school students and the five work at Bar F, which you see every week. And they say that they only take your heart as payment if you attend that bar. But our main character, of course, is Ramaru, as in the title. He is the Lux Clan's Fairy of Illumination. Then we have Homura, the Ignis clan's fairy of flames, um, Uru, Aqua clan's fairy of luster, Juka, Arbor clan's fairy of verdure, I think is what it is in English, and then Takada is the Metalum clan's fairy of gold. Now, these names are, I'm just like drawing from the translation. I did not watch it with subtitles, so like the, I'm reading these for the first time out loud. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, those were the, yeah. the official translations on Crunchyroll. Yeah. And, you know, so we have these like very clear, you know, elemental themed characters because of also the different roles of their clan in the fairy world. They have different things that they all care about for sure. But, you know, basically we start with them like the first episode we see Ramaru is the main character and he is going through the process of collecting an attachment for the first time where he sees um this kind of dilemma at their school, which we honestly barely see them at school this series. It's kind of funny that they set them there because we see like maybe five scenes in the whole series of them at school. But <laughs> now that you mention it, I have never paid attention to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's definitely true. Yeah. So like the first episode, Ramaru sees this girl who's clearly in trouble as she is getting you know, cyber bullied by another girl at school who has a clear impure attachment to her. 
and it is through saving her in a scene that is very reminiscent of like the ending of Utenat for me. He accepts her heart and saves her. We kind of get the beginning of the process. So in order to transform, they have to be able to save the heart of whoever they're saving. Um, and with the kiss, they get the power to transform and they enter this kind of liminal space, this kind of parallel universe that both humans, the victim and the other who has the impure attachment, can look through fairy keyholes, which is also important. And yeah, it's a whole battle in that world with like monsters or whatever. Everything is very influenced by actual works of art, which is really interesting. So get a little bit of an art history lesson <laughs> in those Yeah, scenes. it's so beautiful. Every yeah. episode is a, is a visual delight in that aspect. Yeah. And then, you know, at the end of the first episode, after he defeats the monster and is able to purify the impure attachment... He thinks that something's going to happen between him and this girl. And it turns out, oh, she actually has a boyfriend now. So he's like, what is love? I don't understand. And so it really is a very interesting opening to the series and definitely threw me off. I'm not sure about you, but yeah. Yeah, the first episode was very confusing to me. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot visually. It was very good. Like, the transformation is beautiful. The The fighting scene is incredibly beautiful. Mm. But plot-wise, I was very confused, especially with the idea of them being at school. Because, mm. like, all of them are new students. And Ranmaru is the only one who is introduced in the school as a transfer student. The mm. other ones, they already have their roles in the school. They are all getting there at the same time. So I was very mm. confused <laughs> with this. But I'm glad I kept on watching it because it gets better after the first episode. <laughs> and now looking back, I don't think the first episode was that bad, you know? Mm -hmm. As a first impression, I don't think it serves it very well. Yeah. It can throw you off for a couple of reasons, I guess. Yeah, you know, I think part of it also has to do with the fact that, like, the first 10 episodes are each themed after one of the 10 laws of fairies that they introduce in the first episode. So the first episode is titled Romance because the first law of fairies is to never fall in love with the other sex or the other gender. And so, you know, that's like the first thing that happens to Ramadu is he starts to think he likes a girl and it's like, oh no, you can't have that. But like we see almost right away that like despite the rules, because there's also a rule against like, you know, don't like there's uh, don't have wrath, don't be envious never fail to help someone who needs help, right? You're never supposed to have a physical relationship with uh, the other gender. So it's it's also very interesting how it's very much structured in a very, a very hetero way, <laughs> which is... Yes. Yeah, definitely comes up later. But then, yeah, there's like, you know, no violence, don't have alcohol, cigarettes or drugs, always be disciplined, never have too much pride and never reveal your true identity. And it's like, we see all of these things happen. <laughs> <laughs> throughout the series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's funny because we have basically no context to the fairy world as mm. we start watching it. And then we are introduced to the laws. Like, that's the first thing, basically. And then I was very confused because, <laughs> like, as you said, it's very straight. Like, the laws are very straight. And then it's always trying to prohibit you from a man having a relationship with a woman so mm. i was like mm. i found that like a little bit suspicious 
<laughs> like, one of the first things that really called my attention when I first saw the visuals was how queer everything looked. Mm. The boys, when they are transformed, they wear heels, they have big hair, and their poses are very queer. Some of them even have, like, Vogue poses. Oh, yeah. And, uh, they're clearly inspired by the Vogue dance routines. Mm. And so after seeing all those images and when you start watching it, you're like, are they really going to focus on straight relationships on this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because like with Boebu, for example, they don't focus on romance at all. Mm. Okay, you don't have queer relationships and everything between the boys, but they don't focus on romance in general. Yeah. You know, there, there might be one or two episodes about it, but in general, you don't see it that much. And then in Fairy Danmaru, it's one of the key points. It's always tied to the plot of almost every single episode because they need that to transform. Mm. So there's like this clear structure in the 10 first episodes. We have five characters. So we have one character each in the first five episodes and then they repeat that yeah. in the second half of of the 10 episodes. Yeah. And so in every episode, we're going to see the male characters having a relationship with a girl mm -hmm. or a woman. So it's always going to be like this. And yeah. so I was like, oh no. And it, it also ties into the like very episodic nature of Fairy Dunmaru. Mm -hmm. It's always that structure of episodes. There's a victim, there is... A villain let's call it like that like mm -hmm. there's an, a very evil person that is doing something very bad for the the victim of the week and then they yeah. have to save them and so like there is this clear episodic feel to it and like very straight <laughs> very straight <laughs> formula for every single episode yeah i mean i think another thing to point out is the first episode is the only episode where the victim of the week is underage so all the other victims are adult women who have like careers and usually their problem of the week is related to their career for one reason or another there's actually one that gets to repeat because she has multiple problems and i think the person it is it's like very intentional but yeah it's it's very interesting because it is i feel like one of the things that's very interesting about this series is that they specify in the beginning that they have to save anyone who needs help but all the victims are women so for me, it's this, this thing where it's like, oh, this is a series about men saving women. And so women don't get any chance to save themselves, if that makes sense, like to get themselves mm -hmm. out of a situation. Like all the girls are somehow very helpless. And so it's a very conflicting thing. I think it's one of the reasons why this series is so interesting to talk about. You know, for one thing, it is a very... Again, even just visually, a very queer story. If I was going to have to get saved by a guy, this would be the guy to do it. Sure. Like, these guys, are, they look great, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you don't know how they look. That's the problem. If yeah. you're going to be their victim, you don't really know their real looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sad thing. That's the uh -huh. sad part, I guess, of being mm -hmm. one of the victims mm -hmm. in Fairy Dunmaru. Well, that's another thing that I found very interesting, especially because, you know, the 10th law of um, fairies is that you're never supposed to reveal your identity. So 
every time that they go through their transformation, like we haven't described it, but it's a completely different look. They literally, their their human form and their fairy form could not look more different. Again, that's very intentional. The humans were all designed by one character designer and the fairy forms are designed by another character designer and they didn't look at each other's work. So it was very intentional. That's so cool. That's so cool. Oh my god. <laughs> it was very, very intentional that they would look completely different. That being said, as soon as they transform and they're in this other world in their fairy form, their victim of the week wakes up and goes, oh, it's you. Like, they always know right away who it is. Yeah, they know. Yeah. Of course, what happens afterwards is like after the, the attachment has been purified, everyone like faints or whatever and they don't remember anything. So, you know, that part is safe, I guess. But like... It is really fascinating <laughs> that it that is. is like compared to especially Kyuhai a boy vu is that like it's that was a very interesting thing that was not in that series. It was like you could not recognize the people when they transformed, even though in that series they look exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, they they just have that that little perk on the uh-huh. hair, like a little bit of glow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. Mm-hmm. In Fairy Dan Maru, they're like totally different characters. Like they keep more or less the the color palette like the hair some of them like have like the same color of hair and everything right but they look so different and yeah yeah like that's one of the interesting aspects of it and i feel like it enhances visually the series a lot because the visuals of the fairies they're really something else hmm. they're very bold and so different and every time you look at a promo art someone is going to have their legs open yeah showing up you know their bulge in your direction <laughs> i'm sorry if i don't if i can't say that here but <laughs> no it's fine it's <laughs> it's the truth they're very sexual i mean in a way that's like yeah go off this is great again like it is so campy it's so ridiculous it's so wonderful in that way and it's like one of the reasons why it's just so fun to watch yeah. But it's just like when you start to get into the story aspect of it, it gets so confusing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like, you know, as it starts off, you know, especially with the first episode with like Ramadu thinking that he's about to have a romance with a girl, even though that's literally the first law of fairies is to not fall in love with women. Like it just becomes really, <laughs> it's really fun to, <laughs> to watch as everything goes on. I think this series kind of plays on its own a little bit. It starts yeah. to take a laugh on its own. Like when Takara, who is the oldest or like the mentor of the other fairies, mm-hmm. he's talking about the laws. He makes it very clear to them that they cannot break them. But at the same time, he just shows that when a when a fairy breaks the law, there are specific things that happen to them and they're kind of funny. You know, Mm -hmm. like they just turn into humans in the human world. And, you know, the way it's shown, it's it's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. And do you see Takara breaking all the laws all the time? And like they talk to him about it and he just laughs it off. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. love that. (laughs) Yeah. Almost. Not almost. Well, yeah. Most episodes he's like sleeping around. He's smoking. He's drinking. He's clearly just having a good time. He has like reasons for it right like when you'll find out later you know in his own focus episodes that he grew up like not really having access to much for like political reasons and all of that like he he watched his his own mother like wither away as she tried to keep him alive so you know now that he's in a space where he can 
enjoy all these things. He's like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy these things. I don't care about the laws. Like, it's very interesting. He's a very fascinating character for sure. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So let's talk about some specific like episodes and character arcs because there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens. So since we're talking about Takara already, we might as well continue. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Let's talk about him. (laughs) (laughs) He has two different episodes. So uh, one of them is lust and the other is hedonism. He's like the the kind of uh, owner of the bar, or he looks to be the owner of the bar, basically. He's the one who's running it, while the others are apparently at school. He is part of the Medellin clan, and so his his clan's focus is on money. Like, they handle all the finances of the fairy world. And so his uh, girl, his victim of the week, the first episode, is uh, someone who has a, a grocery store in their family and is in a lot of debt and it's a very interesting thing where like she's definitely struggling a lot because she's trying to just you know make enough money to keep everything like going and you know it reminds Takara of his own suffering as a kid that's how we learn all about that but you know she's getting harassed by this debt collector who goes so far as to like tell her that she should become a mail order bride so that she can get uh, all of her expenses paid off it's it's like very dark you know yeah 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 th- that's one of the things about fairy danmaru that is kind of i don't know which is like the victims of the week are so victimized mm. like they're put in such a position they can do nothing about yeah what's going on in their lives like only magic could save them Mm. and on the other side we have the villains of the week which are so like they are so bad people like it's very black and white most times there are some episodes that we see something different and we see like like a little bit more of like something different in those characters but it's like the exceptions usually it's like she is suffering a lot and then the the villain of the week is the most horrible person you'll ever know. Right. And then you go to the next episode and you're like, oh my God, I don't think I could have met someone who was even worse than the, the one before. And then you can and you meet. So like <laughs> their situations are really bad. And mm. in this specific case, it's really sad to see this girl's, I don't remember her name, this woman's actually, because she's a grown woman. Mm-hmm. It's very sad to see her situation because, you know, she's working so hard and there's nothing she can do to get mm-hmm. out of what happened to them. Mm. On the other side, we have Takara, who so far didn't really show concern like the other boys. Like the other boys are going after attachment. They're going after their mission. They take it kind of serious. And mm-hmm. like when they call him or when they t- try to talk to Takara, he's with another woman, he's sleeping with someone. And there is something peculiar about him mm-hmm. that when I was watching it, I like I thought, okay, this is kind of like a little bit of a, the gay experience sometimes, <laughs> which is he gets on bed with women and, you know, they, they have sex, but he doesn't kiss them. Because that is too intimate. <laughs> interesting, <laughs> so yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it's interesting to think about. Because mm-hmm. that happens in real world. And for the first time in episode 5, which is his first focused episode, we see him actually trying and, you know, helping a mm-hmm. woman. And it, it's it's very nice seeing the side of him. Because when I saw him and when I on the other episodes, I thought that his episodes were not going to get mellow as mm-hmm. the others. But they do. 
and mm-hmm. he, you know, he gets involved with them, and there is a little bit of, I feel like there's a little bit of, the word escapes my mind right now, but it's like he he doesn't try to get too intimate. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to show much of him because he knows that he has like this side that is that can be considered dirty by mm-hmm. some people because of what he does and what his real job is. And he tries to stray away a little bit from the victims, but he can't because he needs to help them and he gets emotionally involved in a way too. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see that. And this this parallel of this episode with this woman who is working very hard and she's getting thinner and she she doesn't have like time to take care of herself and it reminds him of his own mother. Mm-hmm. So this parallel was nice and I like the way they tell his story because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the parallels of what's going on with the characters around him that recall his real life and his real Mm -hmm. experiences in the fairy world. So that was cool. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really interesting. Like, I had watched it initially like a few months ago, but, you know, I rewatched it to talk about it for the podcast. And one thing I realized, you know, my second watch around, especially for this episode, is that, like, when she needs help, the victim, uh, Luise, she actually tries to ask to have sex with Takara as a way to, like, like, she's, like, so stressed. She's, like... It's, like, more implied, but, like, you know, because she's, like, saying, I want you to hold me, but that can be, in Japanese, like, a euphemism for actual sex. So, like, she's asking him for, like, to guess, you know, de-stress physically, and he's like, no, I'm gonna rescue your heart. Like, he's going a whole other way, and it's, like, the first time that we see him, like, deny someone sex for love, in a way. Yes. That's very interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then like his second episode is very interesting to me because it's the first time I've ever seen anything like this in any series, much as a Magical Girl one, is uh, his second victim is this woman, Tina, who is a stripper uh, in episode 10. She is working, again, working very hard and she has a son and her her boyfriend is constantly asking her for money and saying like we're gonna start a family we're gonna get married we're gonna have a house and all this stuff but we find out like you know he's been gambling all of her money away and this is reminding Takara of his time as a sex worker like you know a full service sex worker and it's very interesting to get that aspect as well it's like oh he is older because he's been to earth before for a different reason and, you know, again, just like getting so much backstory is really fascinating. Yeah. And yeah, like one thing that's very interesting about his story, which is also very sad, is that he had to come to Earth when he was a child, mm-hmm. when he was like a fairy child and he had to come to Earth. So there was like this fairy from the Metallum clan. I think he was like a demoted fairy, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he had to teach Takara to survive. And the way Takara was able to survive was to, you know, to be a sex worker since he was a child. So he had a very rough time. Mm -hmm. So like after this episode, you really start to understand his character and why he is so carefree and how he also understands a lot about other people's emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see him with lots of women in the whole series and everything else. Like... I really enjoyed how this story went. And there's also the fact that the Metallum clan is all about money. Yeah. So that is one thing that he 
he doesn't seem like to prize it very much as the other fairies of the clan that we see that like even mm-hmm. committed crimes because of it in the fairy yeah. world in the Metallum clan and he doesn't seem to come to have this bigger consideration but you see the difference between him and the other fairies like the, mm. the, the material part for him is more important but not as much as like those greedy fairies that appear to be from the Metallum clan that appear throughout the show and mm-hmm. especially this guy that teaches him how to be a sex worker since he was from a very young age. Yeah. So, like, the, his story got very dark, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And Tina's story from episode 10 was also... They didn't go, like, full dark with her story. They mm-hmm. tried to keep it, a, like, a little bit lighthearted. Because we know that it can be a very hard life for certain people. And I felt like she, the narrative tried to showcase her as a regular worker, you know? Like, that is something that we don't see very often in shows, especially in anime. Like, it's very rare to see characters like this in anime. We see them as background characters in certain Mm -hmm. shows a lot. And sometimes they have lines and everything. (laughs) But we don't see much of them. Mm. And it was very refreshing to see that they showed her as an actual worker. You know, they like what she is doing is legit. It's like real. It's a real job. Just like anyone. And she's trying as hard as anyone else. She has a family. She has a son. She has a person that she loves. And she's doing everything she can to keep that... Uh, afloat because she needs to work like that's what she needs to do and so that's that was very interesting i don't know if there was like kind of like a bad bias towards her Hmm. in the narrative but i didn't feel it yeah so it's hard to say but i didn't really feel that while watching it yeah definitely because i remember being like as soon as I first saw I was like oh no is this gonna get weird because there have been some weird episodes but like no it definitely felt like her profession was never you know shown as being negative the only negative thing was that like her boyfriend at one point is trying to get her to become a full service sex worker and while you know stripping is a form of sex work there are for some people there is a divide between that but in either case that has to be her choice that she does like enthusiastically but, you know, like, it's very much like something that he is pushing her to do, right? And then Akara finds out that this boyfriend actually is already married and has a family. And so she's just, she is like actually the side woman, if you will. And of course, that's also even more devastating because like she already has a son. What is she going to do? And in the end, she ends up getting a job at an equivalent of Cirque du Soleil. So she's like, her acrobatic (laughs) skills are, you know, uh, highlighted as being worthy of like this job and all of that. And it's never positioned to me that like her job as a stripper is negative at all. And I really thought that was very surprising and impressive. Yeah. And I also felt like her boyfriend, if we can call him that, was awful. He was definitely an awful person. But I feel like they didn't really try to go full-on villain for him as they did for other villains of the week. You know, Mm. I felt like sometimes they try to tone it down a little bit because, like, she was going through so much already and then (laughs) it felt like they didn't really want to put more onto her. But, of course, like, everything that she went through was very sad and everything. But... 
she she did have like this happy ending. And as we told about, I feel like the narrative of the episode was very uh like positive for her. I don't know. It yeah. was very positive for her. While I think that uh in Takara's case, not so much because he it wasn't a choice for him. Right. Because he had to do that since he was very young. So like that was his only option when he came to the human world as basically a refugee mm -hmm. from the fairy world. So he didn't have a choice. He had to do that. Yeah. So, you know, I I've never been a sex worker. I have friends who are, but it's not my field. I wonder about like the depiction because this separation of stripping and full service sex work and then also just the fact that the instances of full service sex work are both uh, survival sex work implied, which is like it's a completely different situation if that's what you have to do rather mm -hmm. than like what you want to do. So yeah. it's interesting to see that uh, play out because it makes me wonder Like, I would really love to hear from any sex workers who have watched the series, like, what they think about this episode. Please, please, please. Yeah, definitely. I really, That would really be a very interesting insight. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to talking about Homura, our fairy of flames. Um... The best fairy. <laughs> Why is he the best fairy to you? Oh, my God. Like... For starters, the way he holds his hair in mm -hmm. some poses. <laughs> I love that. And I love his big ponytail. Uh -huh. I love him. I love his visual as a fairy. Mm -hmm. And I also love that fire is usually connected with passion and intense emotions. Mm -hmm. And then you see Homura, who is like someone who is very serious and is always like seem to be trying to keep his cool. Like he's trying to keep his emotions down. And... When you start watching it and noticing that that has a lot to do with his past and the past of his family, like, that's really interesting mm -hmm. because he is shown, like, as this bad boy. Mm -hmm. You know, he fights in school, like, he gets on fights and he punches people. He is, like, the, the bad element. Mm -hmm. But he is also shown to be one of the kindest and one of the, the ones that, particularly for him... He only has one victim that he saves. Like, for the two episodes, it's the same victim, right? Yeah. So, like, there is this attachment towards her. And he, like, at the first moment, he tries to stray away. And he tries, he tries not to involve himself too much. But he can't because he is fire. He is passion. And everything for him is very intense and very, mm -hmm. like, powerful. Mm. So, I like this. This duality, you know, like this very serious and cool character that can't keep his emotions down. Like he, his emotions will take the best of him and they will appear at, at a certain point. So I really love and this connects to fire so much. And I love that he is an incredible character visually, <laughs> but his story <laughs> is also very, very nice because, you know, there's this aspect of Fairy Maru that family is something that For, for most characters, except for Ranmaru, but like for the rest of the characters, family is something that will play a big part in who they are now. Yeah. So there is a family relationship towards all of them. And I think they, are, they were all uh, very well connected, except for Juka, I think. Yeah, uh, we don't we see a lot about like, his family, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like Juka's uh, story is more about reputation. 
mm-hmm. how his family's reputation in the fairy world is and how that molds him mm-hmm. and tries to make him do things and make him prove to be the best uh-huh. that he can be. But he never can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad while watching his episodes. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like talking more about Homura, I feel like the way they dealt with his family, like with his father's story, Oh my god, that was so great. And how that has like this big implication on how he is nowadays. Mm. Oh my god. Love yeah. this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so so fascinating. And yeah, in terms of his one victim that he gets to save twice, which also gives us a lot of insight into how the system works. So his victim is a comic book artist who is uh, working for Dump Magazine, which is very funny. But she's being victimized by her editor because she wants to create a new series about fairies and it gets redrawn by her editor. And it's very clear that he's like, so he's like very into uh, Lolicon or I don't know how it gets translated in this particular iteration, but like it is very important to note that like that word does also mean like pedophilia towards young girls, which I think is very interesting in the context of this series for a lot of reasons. But yeah, it's a whole thing where he's literally fighting against like these like sexualized girls in the world. It's so yes. weird. And, you know, is able to sever that tie. But she later gets uh, victimized by, in this in episode 7, her uh, bully this time is actually her assistant who works with her and then accuses her of plagiarism by copying her own story, which is, like, very interesting. It is sometimes the case that the bully is also a woman, but it is a very interesting situation in here uh, in this episode. Yeah. Episode 2 was very interesting because... We hear a lot of stories about artists who are not able to do the things they want to do for commercial purposes. They have to fit a different mold. Mm-hmm. So in episode two, we had that. And I feel like there was a little bit of criticism towards Lolicon as well. Like, yeah, this is so creepy, you know, <laughs> like, why yeah. do you like this kind of thing? <laughs> so that was very nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, in episode seven, I feel like this artistic side of the story also came forward you know like sometimes you can't trust your co-workers and sometimes the people you believe in are the ones that are going to betray you Mm. and things like that and it felt particularly sad because i got very attached to the victim that homura saved she is a very interesting character you know she just wants to do her own story her own manga and it's very nice because they get their memories erased after they're saved. Mm-hmm. But in her case, not really. Like, it stayed on the back of her mind because the fairy that she drew was just like Homura, the yeah. fairy. So it was very nice. And there was even a Kimetsu no Yaiba, Demon Slayer reference mm-hmm. in one of the drawings. Because yep. it's like the, the sensation, right? <laughs> so it was very nice seeing that in the show. And I got very attached to this character. And Homura got very attached to her too. Mm-hmm. Because like both of them, they were really having feelings towards each other. Mm-hmm. And that's a law that you cannot break. Mm-hmm. And this is the start of a very interesting arc. Oh yeah. Which is probably my favorite arc of Fairy Denmaru. <laughs> because we have Uru 
a character who is severely close to the laws. He does not want to break any laws. He wants to be the perfect fairy. He mm -hmm. wants to be the perfect example. And he does not want to break the laws ever. Yes. And so he sees Homura breaking a law, mm. which is Homura is getting involved with someone else. So the, yeah. he, he gets very nervous around Homura. And there is this feeling that he gets angry because he, Homura is breaking the law. But, mm -hmm. you know, when you start watching it and you start paying attention, it's not really like that. Homura is very intense and he's fire, he's power, and Uru can stand that. But at the same time that he can't stand it, that messes with him and with his emotions. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, like, at the end of episode seven, like, uh, there is also, like, that we didn't mention, there is also the villain of the show. Yeah. Who is Chuka. And Chuka ends up attacking Homura at the end. And Homura mm. is severely wounded. But he is saved by Uru. Yes. And look, I. I don't even know how to start talking about this here because <laughs> that is something I was not expecting to see. Like, as yeah. we talked before, Fairy Danmaru has very queer visuals. It's very, very queer. But mm -hmm. then when you start watching it, it's very straight. Yeah. Until this episode. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of episode seven, Uru saves Homura. And when they're underwater... Uru kisses him and then like I was like okay is this like he is he trying to like what's the name when you touch your lips and then like breathe on the like person's CPR mouth? or something yeah yeah. Like, yeah like is he trying to do that but no that was that was clearly not the case because yeah. it was a very intense and passionate kiss <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was like oh okay I was very surprised I was shocked I was I was like what is going on in this thing mm. I like what am I watching I'm not watching <laughs> the same show I was watching before yeah definitely he even puts his tongue out like I started like pausing the, the frames <laughs> to see the actual scene there are like little frames like two frames of him like sticking his tongue out before yeah. he kisses him because like it was a tongue kiss mm -hmm. you know and I know Homura was almost dying but <laughs> Uru was like no I'm gonna kiss you before I save you because I can't control my emotions yeah <laughs> oh god I mean their was... whole relationship is so interesting and yes yeah, so you know it is important to note that the Aqua clan you know they're the lawmakers they're they're the keepers of like you know civil obedience and stuff in the fairy world it's very clear that Uru is all about following the rules until he thinks that you don't need to follow them anymore because in his first episode he breaks a law like it's uh it's very fascinating yeah we haven't talked about that episode yet but episode uh, three he rescues this girl who is in a relationship with a really terrible actor who is well i don't know how his acting is maybe his acting is fine but he's a very terrible boyfriend and <laughs> <laughs> she catches him cheating and all of that and when they break the attachment, she actually gets corrupted herself about getting revenge on him. And so Uru also attacks her. And so he doesn't get attachment as a result. And then he also gets punished, which is also very interesting. <laughs> okay, that, that, oh my God, that punishment scene. <laughs> Look, <That> was, yeah. <laughs> there, there's a lot of fetish in this work. Mm -hmm. There is a lot. We haven't talked about the ending. Mm -hmm. But the ending is full bondage. Oh, yeah. 
And then the punishment. I was like, is this really a punishment? Is he like, <laughs> is he enjoying this? I like, I couldn't mm. understand if he was enjoying it or not. But like the, the position mm-hmm. and like, since I watched it on Crunchyroll, I don't know how the final version of the episode is like on DVDs and such. But on mm-hmm. Critical, like he has, he had his legs open. Yeah, <laughs> he had his legs open, and then th- there was this black line in the middle. Oh, yeah. of of his legs. It's like very clearly like trying to you know censor something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, okay, if you put it there, it looks like worse than uh-huh. if it didn't censor anything. <laughs> it looks dirtier. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so fascinating. Uh, again, like you know, just being incredibly sexual in a way that's like sure why not let's have a good time but like it's just very fascinating (laughs) yeah because when you think of punishment like punishment is a bad thing but Mm -hmm. punishment is also used in other contexts of sexual contexts right Mm -hmm. so i don't know if they were referencing that there's one thing about uru that i find it interesting which is he is the most stern one he's like the most serious one but in his punishment, he gets this bondage punishment. And also his weapon is a whip. Yeah. Which is also very fetishy in mm. a way. It can be very fetishy. So it's like the, the most serious ones are like the most, you know, they're the ones that are hiding mm-hmm. their desires the most. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is it that they're trying to say, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But it is. Yeah. It's very interesting. In a lot of ways, like, yeah, when Udu is, like, you know, freeing the the people of their impure attachments, like, his legs are all the way open already. Yeah. And he's got the whip <laughs> on himself. Like, it is very, very fetishy. Like, it, it's quite intentional. It's, like, no surprise at all. For any fans of Fairy Ramadu, they definitely need to follow the animators on Twitter because there's a lot of, like, extra art and stuff that gets posted. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some of them are very peculiar. <laughs> I love them. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, the relationship going back to like Udu and Homura is so interesting because, you know, we find out over the course of the series that there's a history with their parents, particularly Udu's mother and Homura's father. And it complicates things in a lot of ways. And it's like, you know, one knows more than the other and so on. And like, also, after the kiss, like the episode after episode eight, which is a Juka episode, also does go back to looking at like, Homuna as he's healing. um, And Uru like tries to kill him. (laughs) It's like, he's so conflicted and confused by his feelings. And it's very interesting because and this is like, I think, in a way, very typical that like, Udu is supposed to be, like, cool-headed, but he's actually also got, like, as much passion as Homura does. Yeah. And he doesn't know, does know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Because him trying to kill Homura, like, I was so confused. But then, like, it's so easy to understand. Uh-huh. Like, Homura is the, the catalyst for all those feelings. So, mm. like, how do I make it stop? If I kill him, those feelings will go away. Yeah. So, it's so interesting. Like, mm-hmm. it's so... And, you know... I was glad that it happened in the in that Juka episode mm-hmm. because let's just be honest, the Juka episodes are like <laughs> the ones that usually don't have anything that special about them. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that it focuses on other characters. Like Juka is very cute, but I feel like the other characters, they're so much more interesting than him. 
Interesting. I actually really do love Juka. I have to defend him, but <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> I could understand. Like you know, there's a lot more going on with the other episodes. His storyline is not as strong as the others in a way, but like I definitely can feel that that kind of desire, like to go against what people think you are. In a way, like yeah. you know, everyone is just like, "Oh, you're so cute," and he's the only one that kind of shrinks a little when he's in his fairy form. You know, I could definitely understand that, like not wanting to be seen as cute, even though you are literally so cute. He's adorable. <laughs> you know, I just want to give him a big old hug. Um, but I could definitely understand that, like you know, this not feeling like you match the way you look and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And th- there's there's this whole thing about his family too, mm-hmm. which is like the underestimated family and yeah. so he, he tries to prove that he he can be a strong fairy and i feel like the narrative fails him so much in this aspect <laughs> because in every episode someone needs to come in and help him mm-hmm. because he can't do things by himself he's he's not as he's not that strong there is one like i think it was his second episode he suffered so much during the fight I was feeling very sad mm-hmm. for for him, you know? So, like, they, they have to come in and help him. And I feel a little sad because I feel like they could have written the episodes in a way that he would be able to overcome things on his own. Yeah. I feel like the, the, the narrative failed Juka a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. I do think that he doesn't get as strong, like, a, a plot or anything as the others. And... I mean, it's okay to not, like, be as strong, I suppose, as the others. But, yeah, it is interesting because he has quite an opposite reaction to Uru because in episode four, his victim of the week becomes the next bully in a way. Like, if she's an idol who is being victimized. And then when she becomes the top idol, she does the exact same things her bully did. And he doesn't do anything about it. Yeah. And this is one of the cases that I find it interesting that they try to change the mold a little bit. Mm. the victim is the victim and the villain is the villain but not really you know like sometimes they threw this they try to spice it up a little bit and change the narrative a little and when they did this they were nice yeah i think so i think it's it is very interesting because you know they are like dealing with these these impure attachments between people and like humans are so much more complicated (laughs) so i think that's what they were getting at Yeah. yeah This is probably the worst aspect of fairydom, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, it gets very yin yang, you mm-hmm. know. Like, it's just one or another, and sometimes they change that. But I don't know. I know it's just a background for for the fairies to grow and you know get better and get stronger and discover more about themselves. I get it, but they focus a lot on the humans too. Like in every episode, there is a lot of focus on their stories too. So. That can be a little disappointing in certain narratives. Yeah. But yeah, going back to Udu, I really liked how he perceived his mom and how he also thought that his mom was... At the same time that he had, like, love for her, he had to see her as a disappointment. Mm -hmm. She was someone who exposed... A different side of the Aqua Clan, mm-hmm. a side of the Aqua Clan that didn't follow the rules and did something for her feelings. And mm. this is a weakness for the Aqua Clan. But at the same time that he felt like his mom was a disappointment, he loved her so much. And 
as time goes by, he starts to understand her and he starts to see that her feelings were totally valid. And uh, I think that it was in episode nine, which uh, mm-hmm. there is a woman that is having an affair and the victim is her daughter and she committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And it's a parallel to what happened to his mom in mm-hmm. a way. And it's, but he, he could see that his mom was fulfilled yeah. in the relationship that she was having different than this woman who mm-hmm. who did this in disappointment his mother was fulfilled in everything that was going on and he stopped blaming the ignis clan for that yeah and you know that helps him to open up his heart <laughs> for sure yeah yeah that scene of him talking to to homura and homura you know talking to him and holding him Oh my god, both of them in their human forms. Yeah. That was so powerful to me. Yeah, their love is so nice to see again. Very surprising for the series. Yeah. Yeah, but speaking of surprises, we still need to talk a bit more about Chiruka, aka series. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, throughout the series and even in the opening sequence for the show, we see this mysterious other fairy who also transforms and um you know he seems to just always be in the background throughout all these things so he seems to be related to or responsible for these impure attachments in some way but yeah it's not until episode 10 that we finally figure out more about what was going on because you know at this point he has on several occasions referred to Ramaru, who does not know who he was before the start of the series uh, he keeps referring to him as a uh, betelgeuse and it is like this whole thing where it's like, wait, what does that mean? Like, what's going on here? And so it's not until the end of episode 10 that like we discovered that Ramanu used to be this guy, uh, Betelgeuse, and he and uh, Chiruka, also known as Sirius, used to come to Earth to collect attachments as an idol duo called Winter Triangles. And the queen was their producer. So like the fairy queen that we have seen throughout the series and it's really fascinating <laughs> it definitely is yeah ranmaru is an interesting character because he is like a neutral character for the most part mm. he doesn't act much apart from his missions and everything right. he doesn't have like a big personality especially with a cast of big personalities mm-hmm. like fairy ranmaru and then when the story gets to the end we start actually learning his his origins and what happened to him hmm. things get so much interesting about his character because yeah. you know i feel like sometimes when you are a protagonist you kind of need to have a big personality to carry on a show hmm. ranmaru didn't really need it you know he felt mysterious and cool enough to carry on the show i guess mm-hmm. even though sometimes like his lack of energy kind of irritated me <laughs> in general i think he was like a good protagonist because he was as much as we he was in the dark mm-hmm. like not really knowing what was going on and we knew that there was this villain who talked to him and mentioned him calling him another name and we were like, what's going on here? So it's clear that they had a story and everything. And when this story starts being told, it's very interesting. And they were idols and they had a very nice song. I don't remember the name of the song, but the song was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really good. 
yeah, so we get to learn more about their backstory uh, in the second to last episode, how they used to be this group, and they had a whole thing with um, uh, Procyon, who who's the, the queen. And when they were this idol group, they helped the fairy world to grow so fast. They were just collecting so many attachments. It was so easy, but it caused power struggles within the fairy world. So like everything is kind of related to this duo. And uh, at the same time, Sirius had fallen in love with a human woman. And so he was ready to like leave everything to be with her. But she rejected him and then died and because he believed Procyon to be responsible, he decided to try to destroy the fairy world. So, like, they're figuring all this stuff out. And then there's also, um, we haven't talked about him yet, but uh, Hojo, who is, like, the butler to the fairy queen, he's there to defend her and so on. He's from uh, the Earth Clan. Yeah, he's just there to hold her parasol. <laughs> yeah. And pamper yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. And Sirius, who now goes by Chiduka, he steals Ramaru's heart to get to back to the fairy world and go after Procyon. And it's very fascinating to see all this stuff go down suddenly at the end here. And so the final battle is actually against the queen. They have to save her heart because of her own impure attachments. And it is a really interesting uh, final battle. But what did you think about the, the ending? Oh my god, there is a lot <laughs> to talk about the ending. Yeah. The, the last two episodes were very good. I really enjoyed the Winter Triangle story and Chuka and Denmaru and learning the truth about the Queen as well. Because, like, the Queen was very shady from the start. Like, we knew that there was something wrong about her. <laughs> so, look, the visual... When, when she turns into, like, her real fairy form, mm. she looks like a bee, you know, like, the, yeah. her eyes... Oh my god, she looked so cool. Mm. Even though there was like this big sexualization. <laughs> Even like mm -hmm. the queen didn't escape this. I really liked her visuals. It was mm. very nice. And then like we had a very intense battle between her and the fairies. And oh my, th there were so many things happening at the same time the last episode. We had Hojo with his fairy form too. Mm -hmm. Who I loved so so much i don't know if they were trying to make him funny or a little bit ridiculous but i <laughs> love it like 100 percent. i yeah loved his fairy form so much he looked so cool and the the fighting scenes that we had were also very well animated oh mm. my god and sidious transforming chuka transforming oh my god his transformation <laughs> his looks after yeah. he transforms he looks so menacing and mm -hmm. like the, the black costume with red. Mm. Oh my god, he looks so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's a lot to consider about the ending. Overall, I feel like it was very good. I don't know how I feel about the fact that after everything, they're simply gonna come back to Earth to collect more attachment like they were doing before. Uh-huh. That's fair. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. I don't know if it was like, okay, if this show is popular enough, we might go for a second season. There's like room for it now because <laughs> of the way it, it's over. I don't know if that was their intention. Hmm. But that was probably the only part I didn't really enjoy. Hmm. You know? Yeah, I think that it's very complicated, obviously. But basically what's going on is like, 
for my interpretation of the ending, the fact that everything goes back to like, you know, after saving the queen, they're able to, through the power of forgiveness, restore the fairy world back to how it was. Having them come back to Earth, I think that was just like, well, there's still this job, like the attachment power is what powers the fairy world. So they have to do some work, like somebody has to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they were going for there. But like, obviously, mm-hmm. now they can do it knowing that like there's nothing else going on you know like they can trust the queen now and all of that (laughs) yeah yeah it is a very fascinating ending like you said you know this is something where all the characters have to unlock because they all have basically their final weapon is a key and they all have to like unlock the attachment by putting the key in the keyhole very simple but they all have to do it together and part of that also is each fairy getting to see the ghosts of their parents, uh, which is like interesting. And Chidika learns that like the human woman he loved, she rejected him because she was already dying of an illness. She didn't want him to leave the fairy world for her because she knew that it was not going to end well. Yeah, it was all a big misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. I think another thing that's so interesting is, especially because the last episode is titled Love or I, uh, I didn't mention this before because they do all have surnames in Japanese. The wordplay is very, very intense for this series, for sure. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing being that Ramaru's last name is I, spelled a little differently, using different kanji, but still. And in the first episode, he asks, what is love, right? Aiwananda. But his question comes up again as he is trying to understand his feelings for Sirius or Chiruka and also... Uh, you know, his feelings towards like the fairy world, because it turns out that he was so devastated that he had to fight Sirius that he destroyed the fairy world himself. That yeah. even Prokhan <laughs> didn't know that. And it's so much, right? But, you know, by the end, he finally figures it out. And he even tells Sirius that he loves him in a, a scene that's very uh, interesting. That scene was so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sirius, Sirius is... A very bad person because during the fight mm-hmm. he kissed Ranmaru. Like he knew yeah. what Ranmaru felt, and he did that just to hurt him. I was so angry. Yeah. Like, okay, you're a villain, but that's going too far. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> you uh-huh. can destroy the world. You can steal attachment, but don't do that. Yeah, they've gone through a lot. Maybe they'll be able to work things out now that everything's better. But I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he also was explicitly. The only fairy that does not forgive the queen for what she did, which is valid, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. The The whole ending felt very emotional to me because we did have a very colorful and intense fighting scene, which I really enjoy. It was beautifully animated, so I was very happy with that. Yeah. And like visually, it was very pleasing. But I am a very visual person, so I enjoyed that. <laughs> if you are a very visual person, you are going to like Fairy Danmadu because it's like all episodes have like a very strong artistic side. Hmm. And animation-wise, the last episodes were very, very strong. And a little before they get the unlocked hearts, there is this like super powerful scene with Uru and Homura. Yes. Like, we have to go back to them because yes, it's impossible. Yes, yes. That's probably my favorite scene from the show. Mm-hmm. Because, look, I 
was already like accepting the fact that we were probably not gonna have anything else from that kiss from episode seven. Yeah. Because I felt like those last few episodes was going to focus more on Ranmaru and his story. Right. So I was not expecting to see a little bit more depth to Uru's and Homura's relationship. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, we see an actual kiss, like with both of them, <laughs> you know, conscious. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah it's important you know <laughs> yeah it's ex- <laughs> and it's extremely important and we see uru taking the initiative once more mm-hmm. and like homura was feeling very sad for what happened with his family and his father and he was inconsolable and you know uru was already able to deal with that prior yeah so he was he had already sorted out his feelings and he was he knew what was going on with him and so he was able to help Obura deal with his feelings and in a moment that I didn't think that would happen because I thought as I said I thought it was all gonna go to focus on Ranmaru's story and Sidious' story and the Queen's story mm-hmm. and so to have that in the middle was so good and that scene was so beautiful that yeah. kiss I screamed when I saw it <laughs> because I was not expecting that yeah. and that last episode made me cry so much yeah and I'm not a person who cries a lot but <laughs> that episode really did it yeah again like the first kiss in episode seven for one thing Yahomura was not conscious um and the other thing being like because of the situation it could be read as like him trying to save his life right it's it's very ambiguous and you know we see that so much in media where it's like there could be something there but like they kind of dance around it but episode Mm -hmm. 12 shows it's very clear that like no they love each other they're kissing they're really together now like it's so good i also was like yes so excited (laughs) yeah yeah it was it was very good it was very surprising Mm. we also had the confession renmaru's confession yeah at the end which also was like it was clear yeah the story was going that way having a scene of that is another thing right it's bittersweet because Renamaru was able to finally get together with himself and understand his feelings and understand his memories mm. that he was not able to reach before. And he was able to confess to Sidious. But he, Sidious didn't really uh, reciprocate that. He, like, he didn't really give like a clear answer, if I remember correctly. Like, he, didn't, he, he just accepted the mm-hmm. confession, but he didn't say, I love you, I love you too, or anything right. like that. And it's bittersweet, but it's also nice because uh, for a character, for a man to be able to confess to another man, it's already a step, you know, it's already something. And we've already had a kiss. So it's like, it's totally fine to be rejected (laughs) in a situation (laughs) like this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, I was already surprised by one pair of guys getting together. So like getting this also was just even more like you know icing on the cake like it was great you know yeah (laughs) totally yeah so you know just overall this series is so fascinating but it is definitely not without its problems so i do want to get to that as i uh, had mentioned before when it came to the character designs the characters were designed separately by two different character designers and 
Again, they had no discussion with each other about how to design the characters. And you can kind of see that they like look visually very different. And that resulted in some problems regarding the skin tone of the characters, uh, namely for uh, both Takara and also Sirius or Jiruka. So Takara, he is shown as being the same skin tone as the other guys. He's got like pretty fair skin, but when he is in his fairy form, his skin does get darker. I definitely think it is kind of attached to the fact his clan name. It's it's a very kind of like golden color. And so it is a bit darker for that reason. It's kind of shiny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand that choice, but it still, it feels a little strange. And then at the same time with Sirius or Chiruka, you know, his human form, he is brown, like very much a brown skin character, which again is also kind of, even if you're like separating out the fact that like they're different character designers, having someone, you know, design all the good fairies with light skin and then the evil fairy with brown skin is very bad. I agree. To start with that, like, this is like the fourth or fifth time I've talked about it on the podcast because it keeps coming up. But so that is a problem. And then at the same time, his fairy form as Chiruka, he has lighter skin than before. So that is also a problem. Like it is the reverse <laughs> problem, but it is also a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's in Chiruka's case, like, I, I love the character designs, but uh, when you have the villain being the only one with dark skin. It's definitely weird. And like, okay, after you watch the whole thing, you understand he is not really a villain and he can also be seen as a victim of the queen's mastermind. But yeah, like he is villain coded the entire season. Right. He is shown to be the villain the entire season. So like, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. And his design is so beautiful. His human design is so so beautiful yeah he's one of the prettiest human characters in my opinion i love his design so much Mm. it's it's very beautiful but it's unfortunate yeah i just wish like you know because i love the idea of completely separating the character designers you know i think that idea is fun but i think there needs to be like some agreement made beforehand about the skin tone of the characters or something to avoid that in the future (laughs) because even if you were to compare like takara's skin as a fairy compared to chiruka or like Sirius, there is still a big difference there so i would want to see like one of the good fairies also being brown and then like you know like it's okay if it's okay if for Sirius and brown again his character design is beautiful and also as uh, as Chidika, especially the final transformation he is the sexiest like him and also the queen and her like evil form are like the sexiest characters and again that is going with the trope of like really sexy villains which is in yeah. everything like it's it's very campy like it's like you know, you're starting to see, like, hair and stuff. It's like, okay, <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> but yeah, it's, like, very, like, uh, I just think that they could have taken a different approach with that, which, so it's just, like, unfortunate. And then the other thing is regarding the character design and the fact that they are in high school is the fact that, like, there are several times throughout the series that they show a kind of disdain for the sexualizing of underage characters, but this show is doing that by making the boys high school students so it makes things very like confusing you know if that makes sense Mm -hmm. it feels like they don't really know what they're criticizing in a way Hmm. it's a confusing criticism 
Yeah, for sure. Because like, like you said, you know, the episode, uh, episode two with like the Lolicon stuff, like it's making a very, very clear position. That's super creepy. Yeah, like it's very clear. Like, yeah, this is wrong. You know, these girls, like the way they're designed is very creepy. But at the same time, they're showing these like teen boys that are transforming into very sexy fairy men. But there is also a reason for that. So the reason that the boys are high school students is actually because of a focus group that they did with the characters before actually starting the series. So like they had the the concept out and they were like, you know, kind of pushing the idea around, getting opinions. And so when they were first designing the series, they actually had the boys as college age students. So they would have been all adults, Mm. which would have changed so much about like all these implications, right? That would be interesting. However, the reaction from a lot of the focus groups was very negative about them being college age students. They thought that that was kind of creepy to have the guys be like really sexy and also trying to save these. But if they were high school boys, (laughs) then they were suddenly seen as more innocent. Oh, okay. So I think it's very interesting. It is. It definitely is. At least they're not sexualized heavily when they are in their human forms if that's any consolation Hmm. it's just like i don't i don't get it but um... (laughs) (laughs) But, (laughs) i find the fan service in the show in the actual show not in the designs but in the actual show very funny yeah actually because like sometimes the camera will just focus on certain parts of their bodies. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's, it's just very funny. Yeah. And there there is another thing that I find it kind of like, this is funny but creepy at the same time, which is the fairies, they don't look very young, like mm-hmm. in their fairy forms. Yeah. Except for Juka. Yeah. Juka looks like a child. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can say he's the most sexualized one, but in his fighting scenes they always find a way to make it very creepy and like <laughs> tentacles around him oh, and yeah. like, like those sticky uh, liquid going on him. Mm-hmm. Like, and they always happen with Juka, you know? <laughs> it happens with all of them in a way. Yeah. But with Juka, it's every single episode of his. Like it's yeah. two, but like in those two episodes, it's kind of heavy. You know, <laughs> so it's kind of weird. You know, they mm. they they chose exactly him because like yeah. Takara is the biggest one. He he looks like he is like on his thirties or something. Mm-hmm. And okay, we see the camera going on his his chest, which is huge, and I <laughs> love that. But like, there isn't much focus on his like on his butt, on his bulge, like the other of the others. Like you know, like yeah. Uru. Like, when Udu transforms, oh my god. It is very sexy. <laughs> it is super, super sexy. Udu is probably the sexiest one in terms of poses and everything else. Because, like, in Juka's case, it's not his pose. It's, like, when he's the victim mm-hmm. that his his sexualizing appears more. Yeah. It's different in Udu's case. Like, Udu makes those poses when he's fighting and when he's singing when he is transforming Mm. and look i absolutely love the artwork for this show Mm -hmm. the cds and dvd cases there is one particular art that i love which is the the character song cd Mm -hmm. 
that's my favorite fairy denmadu art like uru and homura are holding each other and like uru's whip is around homura and ranmaru's sword is like around takara and it looks so sexy and so campy and so yeah. queer you know yes. so unapologetically queer yes i love that <laughs> yeah definitely again like all they had to do to make this like not questionable is have them be just a little older and then everything would be fine <laughs> <laughs> but yeah now yeah. that you mentioned the interview i can see where they are coming from with the fact that high school students helping women would not look as weird right. maybe because the women would not see them as predators or with second intentions right you know i i can kind of see that yeah like it's weird but i can understand <laughs> the reasoning behind it yeah yeah again it's like when you like really dig deep it's like you know this show about men say rescuing women from their situations with like magic like it's like weird and like trying to think of it from like an empowerment standpoint and all of that but i do understand like okay if that's what the focus group said that's a reasonable way to shift things around and i think again that's why we barely see them in school just like the first episode mm -hmm. after that it's like only the handful of scenes it's very rare yeah it's like mostly we just see them you know at the bar and like just doing other stuff like walking around and and in the shower that that shower scene that happens almost every episode <laughs> because we need to see them shirtless every time <laughs> that's weird it's, because that uh, is with their human forms yeah again it's so and it's like this thing where you know especially right now we see so many different shows that are more male targeted that have a lot of like sexualized girl characters not women but girls and i think it's like a major problem like there are definitely people that are trying to like fight against it i remember there were some protests for some idol shows earlier this year so like it's something that like it's being discussed or whatever but like it keeps happening and so I could mm -hmm. understand being like, well, we should fight against that by having the reverse, but it's still bad when they're boys, you know? <laughs> so it's just, it's very frustrating because like, I feel like that is a thing that is like just generally an issue with that depiction. And then the last thing that I think that we need to mention just before we go is the way that episode three finishes up in terms of the actual human plot line. So this is the episode, again, with the girl who is dating an actor who is uh, cheating on her. And, you know, this is also the one where Udu gets punished. And we already talked about that. But in terms of the actual human storyline, like, we always see what happens to the human. So usually it's like, oh, if it was, like, a bad boss, they get fired or whatever. But in this case, the way that, like, the guy, quote-unquote, gets punished is that, like, he comes out as gay, it's like big news and he has like this boyfriend who's like this beefy bear type guy and like it's like a whole thing where it's like oh the girl's you know her social media page is suddenly all about makeup and she's never taking pictures of herself anymore but then at the same time like they show like these women reacting to the news and be like oh can you believe it he's gay wow and like it's just this very strange punishment especially because all of this happened before we see any of the relationships go on between the guys. So like, I don't know, what did you think of this episode ending? Yeah, I was very conflicted 
because uh, we see this guy who is a horrible person, just like all the villains from every single episode. He is a horrible person, but then at the end, he comes out as gay. And, and like, he was in a relationship with a woman. Right. And so he was at least perceived to be straight. And he was cheating on her with another woman and everything else. So when I saw the ending, I was like, oh, that's cool. Because it's like, oh, they're showing it as a natural thing. Like, he is with a guy. That's cool. But then when I thought about it more, I thought, like, for once, we already knew he was a horrible person. So I was like, it's clear that this guy that he's with is an older man. It's not a, a man that, that's his age. Well, that's obviously not a problem with, if you're both over 18. It's totally fine. But mm-hmm. knowing the guy... You're like, mm, is he with this man because he likes him? Or is he with this man because he is seeing some advantages in this relationship? Like, mm-hmm. what's really going on there? And there is also this fact, like, was he a bad person for those women he was with because he was gay and he was not being able to yeah. deal with his sexuality before? And that's why he wasn't a horrible person in his past relationships? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, because as I said, when I saw it for the first time, I thought, well, that's cool. They sh- they're showing it in a natural light. But then when you think about it, it's kind of weird, yeah. especially because it's very fast and they don't go deep into that. Right. You know, so it's like, where does this show stand? And, and as you said, like, this was very early on. And so we didn't have those relationships being fleshed out with the boys and their feelings. So at that point... I was still with that mindset of, oh, this is a very straight show. Mm-hmm. This show is very straight. Every relationship on it is very straight. Yeah. <laughs> so Of course, we have to also like acknowledge, you know, bisexual people, we exist. Like, why is he like that yeah. he's gay? Right? Because I don't know. It just, there's a lot going on there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like those things are so important that when you put in on a, a small scene like that, it can create so many different interpretations mm-hmm. that sometimes it's even better that you leave it out. Yeah. Because, I don't know, still to this day, even knowing like all the other things that happened in the show, I still don't know their intentions with that scene. Yeah. Because like, I'm not judging that guy over liking that beefy older guy because, <laughs> you know, I totally understand him if... But, you know, like knowing him and knowing like what he did... I thought that he was like with him maybe because he was rich or he was getting something, you know, in return. The relationship was like, this is not a real relationship at all. It's just like he's getting something in return. That's why he's with this guy. So it's a little complicated. It's not a little. It's very complicated to, you know, go deeper into that scene because it's so short and we can keep on thinking and we're not, we're never going to get into an actual answer. So I still don't know where this show stands mm-hmm. in this yeah, definitely. I think it is like very frustrating because it's just it's just confusing, right? And again, just yeah. like with all the other problems, it just feels like, you know, if they had talked it out a little bit more or something that like they could have all been solved. Yeah, and like we are talking about a show that as we said in the beginning, it's very different than everything else. Like it's a show that has nothing like it. Hmm. Design-wise and story-wise, it's very unique. You're not going to find anything like Fairy Dunmaru. 
Right. And I feel like for you to do a show like this, at the start, I thought they're not going to show any queer relationships on screen because they probably wouldn't get the funding for a show like this if they did. And then I was totally surprised. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't believe, you know, even like maybe like, oh, the creators might have wanted to show this, but they couldn't because of funding, because if they wanted to actually show it, this show might not have greenlit or something like that. Because, you know, like production is very complicated. Right. And sometimes like the money mindset is not in the same place as the artist's mindset. So mm. sometimes they can't do whatever they want to do. That's proof because they wanted to do a college setting and they couldn't because like the focus, you have to think of how people will receive the work because you have to have public for what you're doing, mm. right? So as I was saying, like I was very afraid of not being able to see career relationships on screen because I was thinking that they would not be brave enough or mm. a show like this would never be greenlit if they would show a kiss or something but I'm gladly wrong yeah definitely again it's so unique like even knowing what came before it you know to make this there's so much that like you could not expect the fact that this is not adapted from anything because like you know it's, it's like if there was a comic that had come out before and we could see like that reaction or something that would be even more clear but this was made from nothing in a way and it's like so fascinating that they were able to do all these things and cover all these different complicated topics in just 12 episodes yeah i think it would be very interesting to see how they would approach a second season oh my god i would yeah. love that <laughs> oh my god yeah, or just, you know, at least, like, I want to see these creators continue to do the work because, like, they love to talk to the fans and, like, you know, they can see, like, all over the world, like, they're interacting in English and in Japanese. Yeah, it's very nice that we can see, like, how they reimagine the characters in different settings. Mm. Like, the characters in the beach or yeah. the characters in a sleepover, you know, like, arts <laughs> like that. And it's so cool because... The work feels so alive and I feel like it makes the, the, the fandom going even after the show has ended. You know, we can still talk about it. We can still make ask questions mm -hmm. for the team and they answer. It's very nice. And the fandom seems to be very passionate about this show because every Animage issue that comes out comes with a character ranking, right? Mm -hmm. And Uru is a very popular character. He's always very high up in the yeah. character rankings. And Homura is there too. Like, But Uru is always the, the highest one. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I'm very... Like, it, it's great to see something like that. Because, yeah. you know, you can see that the fandom is still alive and still loving those characters and still thinking about them. Mm. It's not a show that was done and was forgotten. And I don't know if it was very popular. I don't think it was like super popular when it was airing. But I feel like the people who stuck, who stuck with it, I think we all had a, a good feeling at the end because this show really paid off. The people who dropped it at the start probably have a very different feeling <laughs> than those people who actually went and stuck with it until the end because it was really a great show. Definitely not perfect, but it was worth the weight and it's it definitely stands on the league of its own because it has nothing like it you're not gonna find anything like fairy dunmaru yeah and I, I i hope it opens doors 
for more shows that like are very unapologetically queer in visuals and in plot too why mm. not yeah definitely it is just so unique and you know like there's so much we still didn't talk about like not even like you know the baku and the, the sloth like there's so all these little <laughs> things that are so great but like they're so cute yeah <laughs> the songs the character songs that yeah. are, they, they play a very important role in the show too yeah because they talk so much about each of their personalities mm. and the songs are great yeah that was also interesting because it's a very long sequence as well and you know i just think that it's just uh again very unique but definitely you know a really great welcome part of the genre i really hope that we can get more things like this in the future is exploring these kind of ideas and yeah just it was so so interesting but yeah we have been talking for a while so i do think we should wind down <laughs> we did oh my god yeah <laughs> i'm sorry i just can't stop no, talking it's there's so I'm much sorry. to talk about there's it's, it's a yeah lot. there definitely is yeah we are running down to our final question and since you are a returning guest i can ask you this question which is what do you hope to see in the future of the magical girl genre i feel like the magical girl genre nowadays is so big like it's always been but nowadays it's so big with so many different shows and very many different styles i just hope it keeps on being like this you know very diverse styles and very diverse magical girl shows with musical shows dark shows happy shows colorful shows children's shows adult shows i just want the magical girl world to keep on blooming because there is so much magical girl goodness around i just want it to keep going strong as it is and obviously sailor moon's last arc I don't know if it's going to be a movie. I don't know if it's going to be an anime, but I need the stars arc animated. <laughs> I am crazy about the stars arc in the manga. And after Sailor Moon Eternal that I absolutely loved, I cannot wait for more. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. I feel like that's, that's my biggest wish right now. Yeah. It'll be really great. Yeah. And obviously for Precure to keep on, you know, delivering because, you know, <laughs> Tropical Rouge is just delivering so much. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm loving this season. There is next year's season two that is coming soon. Oh my God, I can't wait for the reveal. <laughs> I'm always very excited about Precure. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So yes, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you and follow you online? People can find me mostly on YouTube. Uh, you can find my channel. Just search for Magical Cinnamon. There is a whole collection of videos from Fairy Denmadu, one from each episode. As like, I like doing videos right after I watch the episode, just to you know show how like my feelings are, without thinking too much about it. You know, that's how I like to do my content mostly. Mm -hmm. And my channel is full of Precure too. <laughs> like mostly, it's mostly Precure related, but I sometimes cover other magical girls and I covered Fairy Denmaru Weekly. So you can find me there or you can find me on Twitter too. Just search for Magical Cinema. I have an Instagram, but I kind of don't have an Instagram because I barely go on Instagram. So, but you can find me at Magical Cinema there too. Great, yes. So yeah, thank you again and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you.
you so much for listening to this episode of Sparkle Sight Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you like it. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you think they'd be interested. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag SparkleSideChats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at AyuShenos, A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at SparkleSideChats at gmail.com. Let us know if there's a topic you want covered or a fan or creator you want to hear from by filling out the form in the show notes. You can also join the Discord for this podcast to talk about Magical Girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. You can also find that link in the show notes. Show notes can be found on your platform of choice or at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. If you can support the podcast financially, you can buy me a coffee at co-fee.com slash ayushinos. You can also support me directly as an artist there. I do commissions and also sell prints on imprint. Another way to support us one time is by buying something off the Amazon Japan wishlist. This helps with getting more access to Magical Girl content that we can discuss in future episodes. Feel free to purchase from the you section as we are not picky here. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at a few bruises. Thanks again for listening, and remember, you are magical. <laughs> <laughs>